Today's reading is from Matthew 9, 27 through 31, and 35 through 38. Hear the word of the Lord. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here with us this morning. My name is Mike. I'm a pastor on staff here at Christ Communities downtown campus. And uh, man, it's a gloomy day, but I'm glad you took some time to be with us this morning. If you've been with us at all over the last, man, about six months, I think, you know that we've been just taking a real slow journey, chapter by chapter, right through the book of Matthew. Now, a lot of you know this, but Matthew's one of the earliest followers of Jesus. And he was there to witness a lot of these, all these things that we are, we are talking about from his gospel account. And so when Jesus had left this earth, he sat down with a purpose. He said, my contribution now is going to be to write out everything I saw and experienced, which is important because all of this stuff is not just fairy tale stuff. It's not just these random stories made up by somebody, but it's an eyewitness account, a person who saw all of these things happen. And one of the things he saw happen, which we talked about a few months ago, was the most famous sermon ever preached. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And we walked through that for a couple of weeks. And we saw in this sermon Jesus explaining life in this kingdom that he came to bring. And it's totally upside down. He totally redefines the happiest life. He tells us things like the happiest life comes to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The happiest life comes to those who mourn. The happiest life comes to those who are persecuted. Really? And this is the way he described this good, happy life, which left us asking the question, is is he right? I mean, is it true that that he's actually able to bring a happy life out of those circumstances? And I don't know if Matthew anticipated that question or not. I think he might have. And the reason I say that is because of what comes next in his gospel account. As he's arranging all of the things he experienced while following Jesus, right after he finishes describing Jesus' sermon, he packs together a bunch of short stories, nine of them to be exact. Nine short stories that are all miraculous works that Jesus did, grouped together. We saw Jesus do things like cleanse the leper, heal the paralyzed man. We saw him calm the storm, cast demons out of those who were oppressed, and even raise people from the dead. 
Now, our text today that we're focusing on is a bit of a turning point. After this week, Matthew's going to refocus what he's talking about. So this week, I want to dive in deep to just one of those stories, one of those miracle stories that Matthew witnessed while he was following Jesus. And I want to do that because in that story, there's a question, one question that's really at the heart of all of this. It's a question that every person who was healed by Jesus had answered. It's a question that Matthew is trying to answer for us by arranging these stories together, and it's a question that is of utmost importance for us to answer because the answer to that question will define everything for us. It will define the way we work at our jobs. It'll define the way we interact in our relationships. It'll define the way we celebrate our ups and endure our downs. It is absolutely the most important question that can be asked to us. And our answer to that question will define, determine the extent to which we experience this good life that Jesus came to bring. So if you have a Bible with you or a smartphone, um, go ahead and flip over, toggle over to Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. And that's where we'll be camping out today. But on your way over there, I want to set the scene for us a little bit. To put it simply, Jesus has had a big day. He's been busy today. He's done two miracles on this day where our story picks up that are, even by his standards, pretty exceptional. He found himself in the middle of a public debate, this blue-collar carpenter-turned-rabbi, in a public debate with these theologians, scholarly, seminary professor-type folks, and he actually was kind of holding his own. And just as as it was starting to get interesting, Jesus gets interrupted, interrupted by a guy who is desperate. And he's desperate because back at his home, his daughter is dying. And so he comes to Jesus. And true to form, Jesus turns away from this opportunity to establish himself as an authority on the scriptures. And he walks with this man to his house to heal his daughter. Now on the way, a crowd forms around him, as you do when you're doing the kind of miracles Jesus was doing. And a woman sees this crowd formed, and she knows who's got to be at the center of that crowd. And this woman, she needs to get to Jesus too. The reason she needs to get to Jesus is because she has had this disorder that has caused her to bleed continuously, check this, for 12 years. Where were you 12 years ago today? For 12 years, she has suffered from this disorder, and now she sees this man who she knows is her hope. So she elbows her way through the crowd, muscling through, excuse me, excuse me, getting up to the front just in time to reach out and graze the hem of Jesus' coat as he walks by, and instantly this disorder is healed. That's pretty cool, by the way. So Jesus turns and has a short conversation with this woman, and that amount of time that he spends talking to her ends up being deadly for this little girl he was on his way to heal. When he gets to her house, he sees the funeral procession is starting to form in front of her house. But that doesn't deter Jesus because he's kind of on a roll. So he sends them away, goes into the house, up the stairs, into her bedroom, and just this, this dead body lays there. And just as the very first layer of his skin touches the very first layer of hers, instantly blood seems, begins to course through her body, and she's alive again, like from the dead. So it's a pretty big day for Jesus. Probably enough for one day, right? I mean, these two extraordinary miracles. That's where we pick up our story. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. And as Jesus passed on from there, the place where he healed this young girl, or raised this young girl back to life, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, 
It's a very good thing I'm not Jesus for several reasons. One of those reasons is that if I'm in his sandals at this moment, I would be thinking, come on, can I just get a second? I just did these two incredible healings. The one, she had the bleeding disorder. She only touched my coat, which I'm now realizing I need to take to the dry cleaner. And then I went on and I raised this young girl from the dead. Can I just get a second to catch my breath? Now, I don't know what's going on in Jesus' mind at this point. I hope it's not that. But he doesn't, he doesn't actually stop walking, which is interesting because these men call him specifically the son of David, which means that they have already come to the conclusion that Matthew is trying to read, uh, lead us to, that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one that the Hebrew scriptures had said was going to come. And yet Jesus doesn't stop walking for them. But their faith is strong, and they don't stop walking either. And finally, they chase him down inside a house, verse 28. And when he, entered the when he, Jesus, entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, and here it is, the question that is the most important question that all of these stories are leading us to, the question that's the most important question for us to answer today, it is this, do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I am able to do this? If you look back over all of the healings that took place in these last two chapters, you'll see there's a couple times where Jesus is so impressed by the faith that he finds in people that he's got to stop and marvel at it out loud and in front of people because it's so incredible. And when he does that, it is because people have come to Jesus with this question already answered. Yes, Jesus, I believe you are able to do this thing that I'm asking. In fact, I believe you are the only one who is able to do this thing that I'm asking you to do. On the flip side, you'll see another story tucked in there where some people didn't have that question answered. They were in a boat with Jesus. Jesus was asleep. Some, some weather comes down on them. They get scared. They get mad at Jesus for sleeping through it and wake him up. And what does he say to them? Oh, ye of little faith. You just saw me heal all these people. You don't think I can handle a little weather? I judge too quickly. Do you believe that I am able to do this? This is the most important question because it defines everything about us. It defines the extent to which we experience this good life Jesus has come to bring. And it's the most important question for these two blind men in this house. Back to the text. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened because they believed Jesus was able to do this. Now, I want to take a moment and, and step aside and talk about another question right now. If you have encountered this question, do you believe I'm able to do this, and you've answered yes, there's probably a point in your life where you have had another question arise. And it goes something like this. Jesus, if you are able to do this, then why aren't you? Why is it that we don't see miracles happening like this that commonly anymore? Or more pointedly, Jesus, why is it that you're not answering this prayer that I've been praying for so long, believing you were able to do it? 
Now to talk about that question, I want to talk about a very important distinction, a distinction that comes from the lips of Jesus himself. In the last hours of his life, Jesus found himself alone in a garden praying to the Father. And a lot of you know this line, but listen to what he says. Let's listen to it with fresh ears. He says, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, don't make me go through this suffering that I don't deserve. It's a reasonable request. Nevertheless, not as I, what's the word? Will. But as you will. Notice exactly what Jesus is asking. He's not asking the Father, Father, are you able to make another way? The ability of the Father is never in question for Jesus. What he's asking the Father is, Father, are you willing to make another way? And this distinction is absolutely crucial because whenever we come to conversations about miracles or answered prayer, we tend to think of of two things. We tend to think of God's ability to do this thing we're asking him for and our faith when we ask him for it. And the result of that is, if we ask God for something he is able to do and he doesn't give it to us, often we're left with the question, what's so wrong with my faith? And if I were a betting man, I'm not, but if I were, I guess in a room this size this morning, there are several people who have been asking God over and over again for this good and reasonable request, believing he is able to give it, and he hasn't. And you're wondering to yourself right now, God, what's so wrong with me? What's so bad about my faith that you won't give this thing to me? But what we find in this prayer that Jesus offers is something exactly the opposite to that conclusion. You see, here is the only man to have ever lived with a perfect faith. And here he is asking the Father a good and reasonable request. God, I don't deserve this. Please don't make me go through it. And yet, what he receives from the Father is a very clear and firm no. Was there something wrong with Jesus' faith? No, of course not. The reality is that God the Father has a plan He has a plan that involves every detail of every person's life who has ever lived, is currently living, or will ever live. So that at times we might come to him in faith and ask him for something that is a good and reasonable thing to ask. And yet he still might say no. And here's the key, listen, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with your faith. The quality of your faith is not determined by your ability to get a miracle out of Jesus. That's not what made the faith of these blind men good or any of these other people that were healed. The quality of their faith is determined by the extent to which they have put their weight on Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. I believe that this chair can hold my weight. I believe that if I sit on this chair, it will not break because it is a quality chair. I believe that sitting on this chair and putting all of my weight on it is a good and reasonable thing to do. Um, you probably have jokes swirling around in your head. Please keep them to yourself. What is the truest test of the quality of my faith that this chair can hold my weight? To sit on it. To take all of the weight off of my own two legs and put it all on the chair. What made the faith of these two blind men so good was that they had put all their weight on Jesus. 
It was not that they were able to coax eyesight out of him. Their faith was already good before the eyesight came, and it would have been just as good if Jesus said no. Because they had put all their weight on him alone. So if you're in here this morning and you've had an ongoing prayer request and you have been wondering, God, what is so wrong about my faith that you won't give me this thing? I want to release you from that burden. The quality of your faith is not determined by your ability to get a miracle out of Jesus. The quality of your faith is determined by the extent to which you have put your full weight on him. Now, as I say that, there's a third question that might be swirling right now. And it is the question, what makes Jesus the one who is worthy to bear my weight? I mean, if you're into investing at all, what's like rule number one? Diversify your portfolio. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? So why put all your eggs on, in Jesus' basket? Why put all your weight on his chair? What makes him worthy to be the one to bear your weight? And if you have that question this morning, I want you to know that Matthew has organized these last two chapters that we've been walking through to show you beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is worthy. And he sums it up in four verses at the end of his chapter, at the end of chapter nine. These four verses actually summarize everything preceding it all the way back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we didn't tell you way back then that this summary was coming because we were worried you wouldn't come to church for like three months. But it's here. These four verses sum up everything that, that Matthew has recorded over these last four chapters. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion. Compassion is the thing that motivates Jesus to do what he does. All of his teaching, all of his proclaiming, all of his healing are all done because he has compassion for these people. And it's not just any compassion. Matthew uses a very specific word here to describe a parental type of, of compassion that is felt way down deep in here. And it just gets in there and it unsettles Jesus. And it unsettles him to the point that he can't, he can't, do, he can't not do something about it. He must act on this compassion that he feels. And I don't know if Jesus explained this feeling to Matthew around a campfire one night or if Matthew took a stab at explaining it with a metaphor. But he describes it as a shepherd who looks over these sheep who are harassed and helpless and without anyone to lead them, to guide them, to protect them, to care for them, to feed them. And he's just got to do something about it. Now, Israel has a long history of both literally and figuratively having some really bad shepherds. Some folks who are more concerned about their own comfort than the needs, the basic needs of their sheep. So imagine the weight of Jesus' statement with me when he stands up among a crowd of these people and says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life 
for his sheep. He is so motivated by this compassion, by this parental love for his people, that he can do nothing but go and lay down his life for them. Name for me one leader in this world who has taken up the mantle of leadership because they have compassion for the people they're leading. Name for me one person in your life who acts solely out of a motivation for your good. You can't. No such person exists. Jesus is the only person who has proven himself in history to be motivated solely by your good, which means he is worthy to bear your weight. And that leads us to the crux of the matter. That leads us exactly where Matthew has been leading us this whole time. When you encounter this unlikely king of this upside-down kingdom, and he calls you to follow him, the only thing to do is to put all your weight on Jesus. The only thing to do is to put all your weight on Jesus. Now, because we're coming to an end of a section in, in Matthew's account, and we're going to turn to another focus next week, I want to take some time before we wrap things up to get really explicit about what it means to put all your weight on Jesus. And so I'm going to do that by talking to three different people this morning, to three different groups of people, and then we'll be finished. First, I want to talk to the people in here this morning who have decided they will put no weight on Jesus. Consciously decided, I will not trust him. I do not believe he is able to bring me this abundant life he promised to bring. And you might be saying that for several reasons. You might be saying that because you question whether or not he really exists. You might not be sure that even if he does exist, that he's good and worthy to bear your weight. But more likely than not, you're saying that this morning because you have had one too many experiences with people who claim to be sitting on this chair. And you have put your trust in them, and they have shattered it one too many times. If that describes you this morning, first, I am sorry. I am so sorry for that experience or those experiences that you have had that have driven you away from Jesus. And I want to encourage you to think about making a distinction between God's broken people who, though they do the best they can to follow him, often fail, and the one who is worthy to bear your weight. And I want to ask you, I want to ask you how long you're going to be able to bear your own weight. I want to ask you how long you're going to be able to move from place to place, from job to job, relationship to relationship, looking for a place to sit before finally one day you find you are just out of energy and wherever you are, you're just stuck. And if that describes you this morning, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to think about what it would look like to put just some of your weight on Jesus. I want you to think about what it would look like to just try and see if he's worthy. That might, mean, that might mean praying to him for the first time in a long time or maybe ever. That might mean you need to grab an open here bookmark at one of our back two tables where our Bibles are located and using that to read through about 10 minutes a day, just, just this week, once a day, reading through the Bible and just seeing what you encounter there. That might mean coming to a pastor afterwards and, and telling us all the reasons why you don't want to trust Jesus with your weight. I would love to have that conversation with you. In Psalm 34, 
King David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman who takes refuge in him. So come taste and see. Just try and see if Jesus isn't worthy to bear your weight. The second person and group of people I want to talk to this morning are those who have most of their weight on Jesus. I mean, you're definitely leaning on the stool, but you still have one foot on the ground just in case. There's still that one area of your life where you're just not sure Jesus is worthy to be trusted. I don't know what that area of your life might be. You might say things like, God, I'm going to come to church every Sunday morning, but don't tell me I've got to stop sleeping with my girlfriend or boyfriend whom I love. God, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'll even pray, but don't tell me I've got to give you some of this money I've worked so hard to earn and I deserve. God, I'll go all in. I'll give you all my weight, but first I got to just kick this habit. I got to get a shower. I got to get my hair done, shave. You know, I got to get myself together a little bit, and then I'll come, and then I'll be all in. If that describes you this morning, I'd like to ask you to explore what's holding you back. What is it about this foothold specifically? The comfort, the familiarity, the control that makes you think Jesus is not worthy to bear it. Listen, Jesus did not come to steal and kill and destroy the abundant life you long to live. He didn't come to saddle you down with a bunch of rules so that you don't accidentally have too much fun. He came out of a compassion for you, a deep-seated, gut-level desire to see you live the life you long to live. You were designed to live. So if you are a person this morning who still has a little bit of weight on their own legs, I'd encourage you to think about what is that foothold. And my guess is you know exactly what it is right now. And to let it go. To let it go and put all of your weight on Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the one who has proven himself to be trustworthy. And I know, I know that whatever it is, maybe it's your sexual exploration, maybe it's the American dollar, maybe it's your own ability to change yourself, I know that those things have not proven themselves worthy to you. But Jesus has. So put all of your weight on him. Follow him alone. The last group of people I want to talk to this morning are a group of people who have decided already to put all their weight on Jesus. And it was good when it started, but then the storm came. And it came in the results or in the form of a phone call from a doctor or a fallout or a divorce in a significant relationship or a pink slip or a death or an unmet desire that has gone on for years. And you find yourself asking the question this morning, is Jesus really worth trusting in the first place? If that describes you, look up here, if that describes you, do not get off the chair. Do not take your weight off of Jesus and put it back on your own two legs where you know you will be let down. Don't go back to those experiences you know are going to let you down because they have already in your past. Look, if you are a follower of Jesus, if your weight is fully on him, then whatever is going on in your life right now, however bad, it is not the end of your story. So don't get off the chair. Keep your weight fully on Jesus. 
He is able to do all that he said he would do. Look, I've, uh, I've had a lot of conversations lately with folks and a lot of conversations with myself in my old head that make me confident to say I know how a lot of us are feeling right now. Life has never been more busy, more complex, more fast-paced than it is right now. And a lot of us are jumping around from job to job, from place to place, from relationship to relationship, from one thing to another, distraction, hoping that someday, somehow, we will finally find that place, that chair where we can put all of our weight. And there's a fear building in the back of our mind that if we don't find it soon enough, when we finally do, there's not going to be enough life left to actually sit in it. And in a word, we're just exhausted. It was to just such people that Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you the life you are designed to live. Come to me. Look, I don't know if Jesus is going to give you that close relationship or that spouse you've been praying for, but I do know that he sees you in a crowd and points at you and says, that one, I want that one for myself. I don't know if he's going to give you that job, that raise, that promotion that you deserve. But I do know that he freely offers you the gift of eternal life that will far outlive any business you work for in this world. I don't know if he's going to heal your disease or your affliction or your sickness today, tomorrow, or at all in this life. But I do know that a day is coming when he will finally and fully put an end to every disease, every affliction, every sickness forever, yours included. And he's going to do all of that out of compassion for you and for me. Don't you want a king like that? Isn't that a place where you want to put all your weight, then get on the chair. Take the weight off of your own two legs, off of your own power, and all the things of this world that promise to bear your weight and you know won't, and put it on Jesus. Because it's only there that you are going to find this abundant life that you long to live. 